Osho, Tao, The Pathless Path, Volume 1 Talks on Extracts from the Lita Zoo Given at the Osho Commune International, Pune, India Discourse Number 1 When late Tzu was eating at the roadside on a journey to Wei, he saw an hundred-year-old skull. Picking a stalk, he pointed to the skull and, turning to his disciple Pei Feng, said, Only he and I know that you were never born and will never die. Is it he who is truly miserable? Is it we who are truly happy? I rejoice in Litazu. He is one of the most perfect expressions for the inexpressible. Truth cannot be expressed. That inexpressibility is intrinsic in truth. Thousands and thousands of people have tried to express it. Very few have succeeded even to give a reflection of it. Litazu is one of those very few. He is rare. Before we start entering into his world, few things have to be understood about him, his approach. His approach is that of an artist the poet, the storyteller, and he is a master storyteller. Whenever somebody has experienced life, his experience has flowered into parables. That seems to be the easiest way to hint at that which cannot be said. A parable is a device, a great device. It is not just an ordinary story. The purpose of it is not to entertain you. The purpose of it is to say something for which there is no other way to say. Life cannot be put into a theory. It's so vast. It's so infinite. A theory by its very nature is closed. <coughs> a theory has to be closed if it is a theory. It cannot be open-ended. Otherwise it will be meaningless. A parable is open-ended. It says, and yet it leaves much to be said. It only hints, 
And that which cannot be said can be sold. It is a finger pointing to the moon. Don't cling to the finger. That is irrelevant. Look at the moon. These parables in themselves are beautiful, but that is not their purpose. They go beyond. They are transcendental. If you dissect the parable itself, you will not come to much understanding. It is like the navel in the body of man. If you go to the surgeon and ask him what is the purpose of the navel in the body, and if he dissects the body he will not find any purpose. The navel seems almost useless. What is the purpose of the navel? It was purposeful when the child was in the womb. Its purpose was that it related the child to the mother. It connected the child with the mother. But now the child is no more in the womb. The mother may have died. The child has become old. Now what is the purpose of the navel? It has a transcendental purpose. The purpose is not in itself. You will have to look everywhere, all around, to find the indication where it indicates. It indicates that the man was once a child, that the child was once in the womb of a mother, that the child was connected with the mother. This is just a mark the past has left. As the navel shows something about the past, a parable shows something about the future. It shows that there is a possibility of growing, of being connected with existence. Right now that is only a possibility, it is not actual. If you just dissect the parable, it becomes an ordinary story. If you don't dissect it, but just drink the meaning of it, the poetry of it, the music of it, forget the story, just carry the significance of it, and soon you will see it indicates towards the future, towards something which can be but is not yet. It is transcendental. In the West, except Jesus' parables, nothing like Lihtasu, Chuangtasu, Buddha, nothing like these people's parables exist. Only Jesus. And even Jesus' parables seem to be that he must have carried them from the East. There are Aesop's parables, but they are also reflections of the greatest book of parables of the East, Panchatantra. Parable is an Eastern invention.
and of tremendous importance. So the first thing to be understood about Letazu, he is not a theoretician. He will not give you any theory. He will simply give you parables. A theory can be dissected. Its meaning is in it. It has no transcendence. The meaning is immanent. A parable cannot be dissected. Dissect and it will die. The meaning is transcendental. It is not in it. It is somewhere else. It has to be. You have to live a parable. Then you will come to its meaning. It has to become your heart, your breathing. It has to become your inner rhythm. So these parables are tremendously artistic, but not mere art. Great religion is contained in them. Lihitazu is not a theologian either. He does not talk about God. He talks God, but he does not talk about God. Whatsoever he says comes from the source, but he does not talk about the source. Let it be very clear to you, there are two types of people. One who talks about God, he is the theologian. One who talks God, he is the mystic. Lihitazu is a mystic. The man who talks about God has not known God. Otherwise, why he should talk about? The about shows his ignorance. When a man stalks God, he has experienced. Then God is not a theory to be proved, disproved. No. Then God is his very life to be lived. To understand a man like Lihtazu, you will have to live an authentic life. Only then, by your own experience, you will be able to feel what he means by his parables. It is not that you can learn the theories and become informed. The information will not help. Unless you know, nothing is going to help. So if these parables create a thirst in you to know, a great desire to know, a great hunger to know, if these parables lead you in an unknown journey, in a pilgrimage, then only, only by trodding the path, you will become acquainted with the path. Lidazu, Chwantazu, Lautazu, the three Taoist masters, only talk about the way. Tao means the way. They don't talk about the goal at all. 
they say the goal will take care of itself you need not worry about the goal if you know the way you know the goal because the goal is not at the very end of the way the goal is all over the way each moment and each step it is there it is not that when the way ends that you arrive at the goal each moment wherever you are you are at the goal if you are on the way to be on the way is to be at the goal hence they don't talk about the goal don't talk about the gods they don't talk about moksha nirvana enlightenment no not at all very simple is their message you have to find the way things become a little more complicated because they say the way has no map the way is not charted the way is not such that you can follow somebody and find it the way is not like a super highway the way is more like the world flying in the sky it leaves no marks behind the world has flown but no marks are left nobody can follow so the way is a pathless path it is a path but it is a pathless path it is not ready made available you cannot just decide to walk on it you will have to find and you you will have to find in your own way nobody else way is going to function buddha has walked laozu has walked jesus has walked but those ways are not going to help you because you are not jesus and you are not laozu and you are not lethus you are you a unique individual only by walking only by living your life you will find the way this is something of great value that's why taoism is not a organized religion cannot be it is a organic religion but not an organized religion you can be a taoist if you simply live your life authentically spontaneously if you have the courage to go into the unknown on your own individual not leaning on anybody not following anybody simply going into the dark night not knowing whether you will arrive anywhere or you will be lost if you had that courage that risk is there it is risky it is adventurous christianity hinduism mohammedanism are super highways you need not risk anything you simply follow the crowd you go with the mob
with Tao you have to go alone. You have to be alone. Tao respects the individual and not the society. Tao respects the unique and not the crowds. Tao respects freedom and not conformity. Tao has no tradition. Tao is a rebellion and the greatest rebellion possible. That's why I call Tao the pathless path. It is a path, but not like other paths. It has a very different quality to it, the quality of freedom, the quality of anarchy, the quality of chaos. Tao says, that if you impose a discipline on yourself, you will be a slave. The discipline has to arise out of your awareness, then you will be a master. If you impose an order in your life, this will be just a pretension. The disorder will remain deep in the very core of your being. The order will be on the surface, at the center there will be disorder. This is not going to help. The real order arises not from the outside, but from the innermost core of your being. You allow disorder. Don't repress it. Face it. Take the challenge of disorder. And by taking the challenge of disorder and living it, living dangerously, a order arises in your being. That order is out of chaos, not out of any pattern. This is a totally different gestalt. It is born into you and it is fresh. It is not traditional. It is virgin. It is not second-hand. Tao does not believe in the second-hand religion and in the second-hand God. If you take the God of Jesus, you become a Christian. If you take the God of Krishna, you become a Hindu. If you take the God of Muhammad, you become a Mohammedan. Tao says, but until you find your God, you are not on the way. So all these ways simply distract you from the real way. Following others, you are going astray. Following any pattern of life, you are becoming a slave. Following any pattern, you are imprisoning yourself. And gods are Tao, are Dhamma, our truth is possible only to one who is absolutely free, unconditionally free. Of course, freedom is dangerous because there is no security in it, no safety in it. There is great safety when you are following the crowd. The crowd protects you. 
There is great safety when you are following the crowd because the very presence of so many people and you feel you are not alone, you cannot be lost. Because of this security you are lost. Because of this security you never search and you never seek and you never inquire. And truth cannot be found unless you have inquired, unless you have inquired on your own. If you take borrowed truths, you become knowledgeable. But to be knowledgeable is not to know. Tao is very much against knowledge. Tao says even if you are ignorant and the ignorance is yours, it is good. At least it is yours. And it has an innocence into it. But if you are burdened with accumulated knowledge, scripture, tradition, then you are living a false pseudo-life. Then you are not really living. You are just pretending that you are living. You are making important gestures, empty gestures. Your life has not the intensity, the passion. Cannot have the passion. That passion arises only when you move on your own alone into the vast sky of existence. Why you cannot move alone? Because you don't trust life. You move with Mohammedans, you move with Hindus, you move with Jews because you don't trust life. You trust crowds. To move alone, one needs a great trust into life. The trees, the rivers, the sky, the eternity of it all. One trusts this. You trust man-made conceptions. You trust man-made systems. You trust man-made ideologies. How man-made ideologies can be true? Man has created these ideologies just to hide the fact that he does not know to hide the fact that he is ignorant. Man is cunning, clever, and he can create rationalizations. But these rationalizations are bogus. You cannot move with them into truth. You will have to drop them. Tao says, ignorance is not the barrier towards truth. Knowledge is the barrier. Let me tell you a few anecdotes. In Samuel Beckett's great work, Waiting for Godot, happens this small incident. Ponder over it. Two tramps, Vladimir and Estragon, are on a stage. They are there to wait, just as everybody else in the world is waiting. Nobody knows exactly for what. 
Everybody is waiting, hoping that something is going to happen. Today it has not happened, tomorrow it is going to happen. This is the human mind. Today is being wasted, but it hopes tomorrow something is going to happen. And those two trims are sitting under a tree and waiting, waiting for a godot. Nobody exactly knows who is this godot. The word sounds like God, but only sounds. And in fact, the gods you are waiting for are all godots. You have created them because one has to wait for something. Otherwise, how you will tolerate existence? For what? How you will postpone living? How you will hope? Life will become intolerable, impossible. If there is nothing to wait, somebody is waiting for the money and somebody is waiting for power and somebody is waiting for enlightenment and somebody for something else, but everybody is waiting. And people who wait are the people who miss. These two trims are there just to wait. What they are waiting for is the coming of a man Godot who is expected to provide them with shelter and sustenance. Meanwhile, they try to make time pass with a small talk, jokes, games and minor quarrels. That's what your life is. One is engaged, meanwhile, with his small things. The great thing is going to happen tomorrow. The Godot will come tomorrow. Today, one is quarreling, the wife with the husband, the husband with the wife. Small things, small talk, jokes, games. Tedium and emptiness. Today, that's what everybody is feeling, tedium, emptiness. Nothing to be done is the refrain that rings again and again. They say again and again, nothing to be done, but they then console, but tomorrow he is coming. And in fact, he has never promised them. They have never met him. It is an invention. One has to invent. Out of misery, one has to invent the tomorrow and something to cling to. Your gods, your heavens, your paradises, your mokshas are all inventions. Tao does not talk about them. This Samuel Beckett's play, Waiting for Godot, is very essentially Taoist. In the midst of the first act, two strangers, Pozo and Lucky, storm onto the stage. Pozo seems to be a man of affluence, Lucky the servant, is being driven to a nearby market to be sold. Pozo tells the tramps about Lucky's virtues, the most remarkable of which is that he can think. To show them, Pozo snaps his whip and commands, think. 
and there follows a long hysterically incoherent monologue in which fragments of theology, science, sports and assorted learning jostle in confusion until the three others hurl themselves on him and silence him. What is your thinking? What do you say when you say, I am thinking? A hysterical, incoherent monologue in which fragments of theology, science, sports and assorted learning jostle in confusion until death comes and silences you. What is your whole thinking? What you can think? What is there to think? And through thinking how one can arrive to truth. Thinking cannot deliver truth. Truth is an experience. And the experience happens only when thinking is no more there. So Tao says, theology is not going to help. Philosophy is not going to help. Logic is not going to help. Reason is not going to help. You can go on thinking and thinking that it will be nothing but inventions, pure inventions of human mind to hide its own stupidity. And then you can go on and on. One dream can lead into another and that another dream can lead you into another dream within dream within dream. That's what all philosophy, theology is. I have heard a Taoist parable. A man of the state of Cheng was one day gathering fuel. When he came across a startled deer which he pursued and killed. Fearing lest anyone should see him, he hastily concealed the carcass in a ditch and covered it with plantain leaves, rejoicing excessively at his good fortune. By and by he forgot the place where he had put it, and thinking he must have been dreaming, he set off towards home, humming over the affair on his way. Meanwhile, a man who had overheard his words acted upon them and went and got the deer. The latter, when he reached his house, told his wife, saying, A woodman dreamed he had got a deer, but he did not know where it was. Now I have got the deer, so his dream was a reality. It is you, replied his wife, who has been dreaming you saw a woodman. Did he get the deer? And is there really such a person? It is you who have got the deer. How then can his dream be a reality? It is true, assented the husband, that I have got the deer. It is therefore of little importance whether the woodman dreamed the deer or I dreamed the woodman. Now, when the woodman reached his home, he became much annoyed at the loss of the deer and in the night he actually dreamed there where the deer then was and who had got it. So next morning he proceeded to the place and indicated in his dream and there it was. 
he then took legal steps to recover possession and when the case came on the magistrates delivered the following judgment the plaintiff began with a real deer and an alleged dream he now comes forward with a real dream and an alleged deer <laughs> the defendant really got the deer which a plaintiff said he dreamed and is now trying to keep it while according to his wife both the woodman and the deer are but the figments of a dream so that no one got the deer at all however here is the deer which you had better divide between you nothing else can be done when the prince of cheng heard the story he cried out the magistrate himself must have dreamed the case <laughs> dream within dream within dream this is how the mind goes on once you start dreaming there is no end to it and what you call thinking is better if you call it dreaming it is not thinking remember truth needs no thinking it needs experience when you see the sun and the light you don't think about it you see it when you come across a rose flower you don't think about it you see it when the fragrance comes to your nostrils you smell it you don't think about it i am here you are looking at me there is no need to think about me whenever you are close to reality thinking is not needed then reality is enough then the experience is enough when you are far away from reality you think you substitute reality by thinking a man who has eaten well is not going to dream in the night that he has been invited to a feast a man who has fasted in the day is bound to dream in the night that he has been invited to a feast A man who is sexually satisfied is not going to dream about sexual objects. That's the whole Freudian psychology. You dream about things which are missing in your life. You dream to compensate. That's the whole Taoist approach too. What Freud says about thinking about dreaming Taoist approach says about thinking as such and dreaming is only a part of thinking and nothing else thinking is dreaming with words dreaming is thinking with pictures that's the only difference dreaming is a primitive way of thinking and thinking is a more evolved way of dreaming more civilized more cultured more intellectual but it is the same only pictures have been replaced by words and in a way because pictures have been replaced by words it has gone even farther away from reality because reality is more closer to pictures than to words Lihtazu is not a thinker. Let that C 
sink deep in you. That will help to understand his parables. Lehtazu is a poet, not a thinker. And when I say poet, I mean one who believes in experiencing, not in speculations. The poet is in search. His search is for the beautiful. But beauty is nothing but truth glimpsed. Truth, when you just glimpse for a moment, appears as beauty. When truth is realized totally, then you come to know that beauty was only a function of truth. Wherever truth exists, there exists beauty. It is a shadow of truth. When truth is seen through screens, it is beauty. When beauty is naked, it is truth. So the difference between the poet and the mystic is not much. The poet is coming closer, the mystic has arrived. For the poet there are only glimpses of truth. For the mystic, truth has become his very life. The poet is only sometimes transported to the world of truth and then falls back again. For the mystic, Truth has become his abode. He lives there. He lives as truth. Poets come closest to religion. Thinkers, philosophers, logicians, theologians, scientists are very far away. Their whole approach is verbal. The poetic ap approach is more existential and the mystic's approach is existential par excellence. It is absolutely existential. Tao means to exist on the way and to exist in such a way that the way and you are not two. This existence is one. We are not separate from it. The separation, the idea of separation is very illusory. We are joined together. We are one whole. We are not islands. We are one continent. You are in me, I am in you. The trees are in you, you are in the trees. It is an interconnected whole. Basso has said, it is as if it is a vast spider's web. Have you tried touch the spider's web anywhere? 
and the whole web the whole starts shaking trembling the whole vibrates touch a leaf on the tree and you have made all the stars vibrate with it you may not be able to see it right now but things are so deeply related that it is impossible not to touch the stars by touching the leaf a small leaf of a tree the whole is one separation is not possible the very idea of separation is the barrier the idea of separation is what we call the ego if you are with the ego you are not on the path you are not on tau when the ego is dropped you are on tau tau means a egoless existence living as part of this infinite whole not living as a separate entity now ordinarily we have been taught to live as separate entities we have been taught to have our own will people come to me and they ask me that how we should develop our will power tau is against will tau is against will power because tau is for the whole and not for the part when the part exists in the whole everything is harmonious when the part starts existing on its own everything becomes disharmonious there is a discord conflict confusion when you are not fused with the whole there is confusion if the fusion is not happening with the whole there is bound to be confusion whenever you are not with the whole you are unhappy let this be the definition of happiness to be with the whole is to be happy to be with the whole is to be healthy to be with the whole is to be holy to be separate is to be unhealthy to be separate is to be neurotic to be separate is to fall from the grace the fall of man is not because he has disobeyed god the fall is because he thinks he is the fall is because man thinks that he is a separate entity this is foolish you could not have existed if your parents were not there and your parents parents and parents parents back go to adam and eve if adam and eve has not existed you would not be here so you are connected with the whole past and adam and eve are just a myth the past has no beginning cannot have any beginning the very idea of beginning is absurd how things can suddenly begin it is a beginningless procession of events you are connected with the whole past and you are connected with the whole future too because without you the future will not be the same
you may be nobody but you will leave your mark the whole future the whole eternal future will have a certain quality because you existed maybe you existed only for 70 years and in those 70 years you existed consciously only maybe for 7 seconds but still you will leave a mark the whole will not be the same if you were not there things would have been completely different things will be now totally different because you had existed you will continue you may not do anything special anything big and great just a ordinary life but still you will affect the whole destiny of existence past future you are connected this is the dimension of time and then in a space you are connected with everything these trees the sun the moon the stars you are connected with everything if the sun goes out of existence or simply becomes cool as one day it is bound to become because energy is being dissipated every day few scientists think that within 4000 years it will cool down or 40000 years or 4 million years that doesn't matter some day the sun will cool down the moment sun will cool down we will all cool down immediately we will lose life because life needs warmth so the sun is continuously giving you life and remember in life there is no process which is one way cannot be there is give and take all roads go both the ways if sun is giving life to you you must be giving life to the sun in some way or other that is the meaning when gurjev used to say to his disciples that moon feeds on man there is a possibility you feed on animals you feed on trees everything is food for something so why man should be an exception gurjev has some point there everything is food for something else so why man should be the only exception that he is not food for anything and he is the eater of the whole existence and he is not food for anything that is not possible things are linked so he invented a beautiful theory that man is food for moon moon feeds on man man's consciousness and he has some truth in it because the full moon night drives people crazy that's why mad people are called lunatics luna means the moon moon struck a lunatic is a moon struck the ocean goes wild there is a possibility that man also goes wild on the full moon night because 90% of man is ocean and nothing else 90% of you is just ocean you are made of ocean 90% is water and the water has the same salts 
as the ocean. Exactly the same proportion. So when the ocean goes wild, something must be happening in your body too. Ninety percent is ocean within you. Something must be going wild. Poets say that they write beautiful poetry on the full moon. Lovers say that something becomes tremendously romantic. And now this is a well-established fact that more people go mad on the full moon night than any other night. The least number goes mad on the no moon night and the greatest number goes mad on the full moon night. Maybe Gurjeev has some point in it that the moon feeds on your consciousness. It may be just fiction, but even fictions have some part of truth in them. And when a man like Gurjeev creates a fiction, it has to have some truth in it. The whole is connected. We are eating, we are being eaten. From one side we take, from another side we give. You eat the apple, one day the apple tree will eat from your body, your body will become manure. When you are eating the apple, you may have never thought that your father or your grandfather may be in the apple. And you may be eating your grandmother or grandfather. And someday your children will eat you. Everything is connected. This connectedness is what means by the word Tao. The connectedness, the interconnectedness, the interdependence of all. Nobody is separate, hence ego is absurd. Only the whole can say I. The parts should not say I. If they have to say, they should say it only as a linguistic formality. But they should not claim the I. When you exist separately from existence, you exist in misery because you become disconnected. And nobody else is responsible for it. It is you. When you are happy, watch what happens. Whenever you are happy, you don't have the ego. In those moments of happiness, joy, bliss, suddenly the ego disappears. You are more melting into the whole. Boundaries are less clear. Boundaries are more blurred. When the boundaries are totally blurred, as if the river has disappeared into the ocean, when all boundaries are blurred, and you are one throbbing with the whole, there is happiness. It is said, somewhere, sometime, there lived a king. The king had everything that could be desired, wealth, power, even health. He had a wife 
and children whom he loved, but he did not have happiness. Sad and worried he sat upon his throne. It is natural. The more you have of this world, the less you have of happiness. Because the more you have of this world, the more stronger becomes your ego. The more strengthened is your ego, more crystallized. Hence unhappiness. So it is never heard that kings have been happy, very rarely. It is not just a coincidence that Buddha and Mahavir left their kingdoms and became beggars. And by becoming beggars they declared that now we have become emperors, because they became happy. A sannyasin is a person who has learnt the way of Tao, and he says, I am no more, only the whole is. This is the meaning of Jesus when he goes on saying, Blessed are the poor in his spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit means a man who has no ego. So poor that he has not even the idea of I. But from the other side he is the richest person. That's why Jesus says, those who are last here will be the first in my kingdom of God. The poorest will become the richest. Remember, but by poor, no financial concept is meant. By poor is meant a person who is nothing. By becoming nothing you become part of the whole. The king must have been very unhappy. I must have happiness, said the king. The royal physician was summoned. I want happiness, make me happy and I shall make you wealthy. If you do not make me happy, I shall cut off your head, said the king. The physician was at a loss, what to do, how to make somebody happy? Nobody knows the way. Nobody has ever been able to make somebody happy. But the king was mad and he may kill. The physician said, I will have to meditate, sir, and consult the scriptures. Tomorrow morning I will come. And he meditated the whole night. And he came upon a conclusion. And the morning he came that it is very simple. He consulted the books, but happiness was not mentioned in the medical books. The problem was difficult, but then he invented. He prescribed a remedy. He said, Your Majesty, you must find the salt of a happy man and take it from him. Then you will have happiness and you will know what happiness is. It's a simple remedy. Find a salt of a happy man and wear it. The king was very happy listening this. He said, so simple. He told his chief minister, go and find out a happy man and bring the salt as immediately as possible. The minister went 
he went to the richest man and he asked for his cert and he said you can take as many certs as you like but I am not a happy man certs you can have as many but I am unhappy myself and I will send my servants to to look for a happy man and his cert thank you for your remedy and he visited so many people but nobody was happy they were all ready they said we can give our life if the king can become happy what absurds we can give our whole life but we are not happy our certs won't do then the minister was very much miserable what to do now he will be at fault the physician has played a game so he was very much worried then somebody said don't be so much worried I know a happy man and you must heard somewhere sometimes he plays on his flute in the night just by the side of the river you must have heard he said yes sometimes in the middle of the night I was enchanted such beautiful notes who is this man where he is the man said in the night we will go and find him he comes always every night so they went in the night and the man was playing on his flute and it was tremendously beautiful and the notes were so blissful that the minister was happy he said now I have found the man they reached there the man stopped playing he said what do you want the minister says are you happy he said I am happy I am happiness what do you want the minister danced in happiness he says now you just give your search and the man remained silent and the minister said why you are silent give your search the king needs it the man said that is impossible because I don't have any search you can't see because it is dark I am sitting naked I would have given my search I can give my life but I don't have any search then why you are happy the minister asked then how you are happy and the man said the day I lost all I became happy certain all the day I lost all in fact I don't have anything and I don't have even myself I am not playing this flute the whole is playing through me I am a non-entity a nothingness a nobody this is the meaning of the poor in spirit one who possesses nothing who has nothing who knows nothing who is nothing Tao says when you are nothing you will become all dissolve and you will become whole claim that you are and you will be miserable this Tao this merging with the whole this disappearing 
into the cosmos cannot be taught. You can learn it, but it cannot be taught. So Lihtazu and other Taoist masters don't preach anything. They don't have anything to preach. They talk in parables. You can listen to the story. And if you really listen, something something will burst open in you. So the whole thing depends how you listen. Lehitazu himself was with his master for many years, just sitting silently, not doing anything, just learning to be silent, learning to be passive, learning to be receptive, learning to be feminine. That is how one becomes a disciple. Let me tell you, there are no masters, there are only disciples, because it cannot be taught. So how to say that there are masters? Buddha cannot teach you, Lehitazu cannot teach you, so why call them masters? But if there is a disciple, he learns. So a master is not one who teaches you, a master is one in whose presence you can learn. Let the difference be known. A master is not one who teaches you because there is nothing to teach. A master is one in whose presence it is possible to learn. A seeker came to Jalaluddin Rumi, the Sufi mystic, and said, Will you teach me? Will you teach me, Master? Jalaluddin looked at him and said, Will you allow me to teach? The man said, Why should not I allow you to teach? I have come to learn. Jalaluddin said, Because that is the main thing. Will you allow me to teach? Otherwise I cannot teach. Because in fact teaching is not possible. Only learning is possible. If you allow, then the learning will flower. Lihitazu was with his master for many years, just sitting silently, not doing anything, just becoming more and more passive. A day arrived when he was absolutely silent. There was not a ripple of thought in his being, not a wave. His energy was totally there a reservoir, a placid lake with no waves, no wind blowing. And he understood. In a single moment it happens. Truth is not a process. It is a happening. It is not gradual. It needs no time to happen. If time is needed, that time is needed only for you, because you cannot be silent right now. If you can be silent, it can happen right now. It happens always in silence. What happens in silence? When you are silent, you are not. 
the boundaries dissolve. You are one with the total. Then what is the function of a master? The function of the master is to just be close to you so that you can have a taste of someone who has tasted the whole. So he can become a via media. It is difficult for you to taste the whole because you are so full of the ego. Somebody who is egoless, in whom God is flowing easily, one who is glowing with God, is streaming with His energy, just by the side of Him, sitting silently, waiting. Someday you are overflooded. Let me tell you one Taoist story. A disciple of Lao Tzu said that, Master, I have arrived. Lao Tzu said, if you say you have arrived, then it is certain that you have not arrived. The disciple waited for a few months, then one day he said, You were right, Master. Now it has arrived. First he has said, I have arrived, and the Master denied. And then after a few months, one day suddenly he burst open, and he said, It has arrived. And Lao Tzu looked with tremendous compassion and love, and patted his head, and he said, Now it is right. Now tell me what has happened. Now I would like to listen. What has happened? He said, the day you said that if you say you have arrived, then it is certain that you have not arrived. Up to that time I was making a first. Was doing all that I could do. I was trying hard. The, you, the day you said, if you say you have arrived, you have not arrived, it is struck home. How I can arrive? Because I is the barrier. So I have to give way. It can arrive. And Taoists call it yet it. They don't call it he. They don't call it see. They don't call it God the Father, they don't call any personal name, they simply say it. It is non-personal. It is the name of the whole. Tao means it. Tao has arrived, he said, and it came only when I was not there. Lao Tzu said, tell other disciples, the situation in which it happened. And he said, the only thing that I can say, I was not good, I was not bad, I was not a sinner, I was not a saint. I was not this, I was not that, I was not 
anybody in particular when it arrived. I was just a passivity, a tremendous passivity, just a door, an opening. I have not even invited it. Listen, I have not even invited it, because even the invitation will go with my signature. I have not even invited, in fact I had completely forgotten about it. I was just sitting. I was not even seeking, searching, inquiring. I was not there. And suddenly it overflooded me. It happens that way. It can happen to here, to you here. If you just become more and more passive. Tao is the way of the feminine. All other religions are aggressive. All other religions are more male-oriented. Tao is more female. And remember, truth comes only when you are in a feminine state of consciousness, never otherwise. You cannot conquer truth. That is foolish, silly even to think about it, that you can conquer truth, the part conquering the whole. The part can only allow. The part can only be in a let go. This let-go will happen if you can do one thing, stop clinging to knowledge, stop clinging to philosophies, stop clinging to doctrines, dogmas, stop clinging to the churches and the organized religion. Otherwise you will have false conceptions, and those false conceptions won't allow the truth to enter in you. A beautiful parable, all along the farmyard, gables, the swallows sat a row, twittering uneasily to one another, telling of many things, but thinking only of summer and the south, for autumn was afoot and the north wind waiting. And suddenly one day they were all quite gone. And everyone spoke of the swallows and the south. I think I shall go south myself next year, said a hen. And the year wore on, and the swallows came, and the year wore on, and they sat again on the gables, and all the poultry discussed the departure of the hen. And very early one morning, the wind being from the north, the swallows all soared suddenly and left the wind in their wings, and felt the wing in their wings, and a strength came upon them, and a strange old knowledge, and a more than human faith, and flying high, they left the smoke of our cities. I think the wind is about right, said the hen and she spread her wings and ran out of the poultry yard 
and she ran fluttering out onto the roads and somewhere down it until she came to a garden at evening she came back panting and in the poultry yard she told the poultry how she had gone south as far as the high roads and saw the great world's traffic going by and came to lands where the potato grew and saw the stubble upon which men live and at the end of the road had found a garden and there were roses in it beautiful roses and the gardener himself was there how extremely interesting the poultry said and what a really beautiful description and the winter wore away and the bitter months went by and the spring of the year appeared and the swallows came again but the poultry would not agree that there was a sea in the south you should hear our hen they said now the hen has become the the knower she knows what is in the south and she has gone not even outside the town just down the road a little bit intellect is a hen it cannot go very far but once the hen knows something it prevents it becomes an obstacle drop your intellect and you will not lose anything carry on your intellect with yourself and you will lose all drop your intellect and you will lose only your imprisonment your falsity drop your intellect and suddenly your consciousness will soar high will be on its wings and you can go to the very south to the open seas where you belong intellect is the burden on man the last thing before we go into this parable tau is starts by death why there is something significant in the beginning tau says if you understand death you will understand everything because in death your boundaries will be blurred in death you will disappear in death ego will be dropped in death mind will be no more there in death all that is non essential will be dropped and only the essential will remain if you can understand death you will be able to understand what tau is what the pathless path is because religion is also a way of dying love is also a way of dying prayer is also a way of dying meditation is a voluntary death death is the greatest phenomenon it is the culmination of life the crescendo the highest peak you know only one peak and that peak is of sex and that is the lowest peak of the himalayas yes it is a peak but the lowest peak 
death is the highest peak. Sex is birth. It is the beginning of the Himalayas, the lowest peak. Just in the beginning the highest is not possible. Slowly, slowly, the peaks rise higher and higher. Finally they come to the peak. Death is the peak. Sex is the beginning. Between sex and death is the whole story of life. Western psychology starts by understanding sex. Eastern psychology, the psychology of the Buddhas, starts by understanding the psychology of death. To understand sex is very primary. To understand death is the ultimate. And by understanding death you can die consciously. If you die consciously, you will not be born again. That there will be no need. You have learned the lesson. You will not be thrown back again and again into the wheel of life and death. You have known. You have learned. There is no need for you to be sent again to the school. You have transcended. If you don't learn the meaning of death, you will have to thrown, thrown back you will have to be thrown back. Life is a situation to learn what death is. This parable. When Lihitazu was eating at the roadside on a journey to Wei, he saw a hundred-year-old skull. Picking a stalk, he pointed to the skull and turning to his disciple Pai Feng, said, Only he and I know that you were never born and will never die. Is it he who is truly miserable? Is it we who are truly happy? Very cryptic statement. A code which has to be decoded. Only he and I know, said Lehtasu, pointing to the hundred-year-old skull, that you were never born and will never die. Why he says only he and I? The skull has died a non-voluntary death. And Lehtasu has died a voluntary death. Both are dead in a way. Lihitasu has died through meditation. Lihitasu has died because he is no more an ego, because he is no more separate from the whole, because he is no more. This is real death. In fact, Deeper than the death of the skull. It is not really certain whether the man who has died and whose skull is lying there for hundred years has known. It is not certain. He may not have known. He may have known. But it is certain that Lehtazu knows. His death is conscious.
but he used the situation. A parable uses the situation. His disciple Pai Feng is sitting by his side, the iskal is lying there. He pointed to the iskal, only he and I know that you were never born and will never die. Who dies and who is born? The ego is born and the ego dies. Deep down, where ego is no more, you are never born and you never die. You are eternal. You are eternity. You are the very substratum, the very stuff the existence is made of. How can you die? But ego is born and ego dies. You are never born and you can never die. But how to know it? Would you like to wait when death comes? That is very risky. Because if you live your whole life unconsciously, there is not much possibility that when you will die you may become conscious. It is not possible. If your whole life has been a continuity of unconscious living, you will die unconsciously. You will not be able to know. You will die in a coma. You will not be able to observe and see what is happening. You were not even able to see life. How can you see death? Death is more subtle. If you really want to know, then start becoming alert, aware. Live consciously. Learn consciousness. Accumulate consciousness. Become a great flame of consciousness. Then, when death comes, you will be able to witness it. You will be able to see it. And you will know, body is dying. The ego is dying. But I am not dying, because I am the witness. That witness is the very core of existence. That witness is what other religions call God and what Lihitazu, Lao Tase, Chuangtazu call Tao, the knower, the knowing element, consciousness, awareness, alertness. Start living a conscious life. Do whatsoever you are doing, but do as if you are a witness to it. Watch it. Silently go on observing it. Don't get lost into things. Remain alert. Remain beyond. Start from small things, walking on the road, eating, taking a bath, holding the hand of a friend, talking, listening, small things. But keep alert. You will forget again and again. Pick it again. Find it out again. Remember it again. This is what Buddha calls mindfulness. Gurjev calls self-remembering. Go on remembering that you are a witness. In the beginning it is arduous, hard. 
because our sleep is long. We have slept for many lives. We have become accustomed to sleep. We are snoring metaphysically. It is difficult, but if you try, by and by, a ray of alertness will enter in your being. It is possible, difficult but possible, not impossible. And this is the most valuable thing in life. Only he and I know that you were never born and will never die. I know you will never die because you were never born, but you don't know it. My knowing is not going to help you. You have to know it. It has to become your own understanding, a lamp unto yourself. Is it he who is truly miserable? Is it we who are truly happy? And then he raises a question to his disciple, who is happy? Those who are alive are those who are dead. Who is really miserable? Those who are dead are those who are alive. And who is really happy? And he leaves the question. It is a koan. The disciple has to meditate on it. The parable says nothing. It ends abruptly. Now the disciple has to work it out. Now he has to meditate. He has to be aware of death, of life, of love, of this and that. And he has to meditate on the fact who is really happy. Are you happy by being just alive? You are not. The whole world is so miserable. So one thing can be deduced and can be deduced unconditionally that just by being alive one is not bound to be happy. Just being alive is not enough to be happy. Something more is needed to be happy. Something plus life plus awareness then happiness arises. Because in awareness, in the light of awareness, the darkness of ego disappears. Now, when life has a plus point of awareness, great things happen. First, the ego disappears. And with the ego disappears death, because only ego can die, because ego was born. With ego, Birth has disappeared, death has disappeared. With ego, your separation from existence has disappeared. This is the meaning of the crucifixion. Ego is crucified. When Jesus is crucified, Christ is born. That is the meaning of resurrection. On one side crucifixion, on another side resurrection. Die if you really want to be alive. Very paradoxical, but tremendously true, absolutely true. As you are, you are neither dead nor alive, you are hanging in between. Hence the misery, the tense and the anguish.
you are split. You are neither alive nor dead. Either be totally alive and then you will know what life is. Or be totally dead, then too you will know what life is because with totality opens the door of Tao. Be total. A asleep man cannot be total in anything. You are eating, you are not total there. You are thinking thousand and one things. You are dreaming thousand and one dreams. You are just stuffing mechanically. You may be making love to your woman or to your man. You are not totally there. You may be thinking of other women. Making love to your wife and thinking of some other woman. Or you may be thinking of the market or of the prices of things that you want to purchase or of a car, or of a house, or thousand and one things. And you are making love mechanically. Be total in your acts. And if you are total, you have to be aware. Nobody can be total without being aware. By being total means no other thinking. If you are eating, you are simply eating. You are totally here now. The eating is all. You are not only stuffing, you are enjoying it. Body, mind, soul, all are in tune while you are eating. There is a harmony, a deep rhythm between all three layers of your being. Then eating becomes meditation. Walking becomes meditation. Chopping wood becomes meditation. Carrying water from the well becomes meditation. Cooking food becomes meditation. Small things are transformed. They become luminous acts. And each act becomes so total that each act has the quality of Tao. Then you are not the doer when you are total. Then God is the doer. Or the total is the doer. You are just a vehicle, a passage. And becoming that passage is bliss, is benediction. Enough for today.